Well, I will say it one more time. Happy Mother's Day to all you mamas out there. I feel like every year on Mother's Day, I end up saying the exact same thing, but but it's because it is what most immediately comes to mind when I think of the role of, of a mother. Uh, all you moms out there, you genuinely have the, the hardest while simultaneously the, the most meaningful job on the planet. Uh, when, when I'm left to watch my kids, uh, I have three children, for, for any longer than let's just call it 90 minutes, I inevitably have the thought, this is the hardest moment of my week. I don't understand how my wife does this all the time. So to, to all you moms, we love you. We, we honor you. Thank you. Myself and so many other dads out there, we would be in a whole lot of trouble without you. So again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, Today, we are entering into part five of a six-part series titled, again, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, where we are very practically speaking about how we might go about unhurrying our, our lives. Because the reality is, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, most of us, we have had this sneaking suspicion, and frankly, we, we've had it for, for quite a while, that, that while this psychotic 120-mile-an-hour pace might be normal in our Western world, where, where we never have enough hours in a day, where, where we wake up to our kids already at each other's throats, where we, we rush out the door with like a cliff bar rammed in our mouths, like half the wrapper kind of on it, already nodding off by 10 a.m., where, where we eat some more processed food for lunch, where we respond to like 150 texts throughout the day, where we aimlessly scroll through social media while we're on the toilet, where we're rushing our kids off to practices and activities, where we're ending the day blankly just staring at a television. Did, did I miss anything? While all of that well, might be normal, it, it can't possibly be good for us. Not only is this, this hurried life wreaking havoc on ourselves and, and the people that we would all agree matter the most, it's, it's undermining your relationship with the living God. It, it's taking captive your, your soul. And, and as Jesus would so famously, so directly pose to us, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? And then he just asks us very point blank, is anything worth more than, than your soul? And, and the answer to that question, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, is of course a resounding no. That, that come the end of your life, if you figured out that all of this franticness, all of this striving, all of this achieving, all of this hurry ended up costing you your soul, that there is nothing in that moment that you would not give up to, to get your soul back. I mean, after all, you, you can't take any of it with you anyway. See, your soul is greater than, it is more important than anything else. And so the question we've been asking is, okay, how do we get our souls back? To use perhaps less intimidating or less spiritual language, how do we break this cycle? How does one go about unhurrying their life? The answer, as it turns out, it's simpler than we may have thought. We live like Jesus lived. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And I recognize that not every person here today would call themselves a follower of Jesus. And so there may very well be something inside of you that resists what I'm presenting right now. But very practically speaking, I would ask you, more importantly, Jesus would ask you, hey, what do you have to lose? I mean, after all, it's not this little introduction to this message, not, not some talk, but, but your own life that has shown you that this current pace with which you're navigating, your rather limited amount of time on this earth, it's, it's not really working. 
So why not hand Jesus the keys? As we've joked around throughout the series, you could always return to your psychotic, never stop to take an honest evaluation of one's life pace if you so choose. But I have a sneaking suspicion because not only my life, but but the lives of so many others in this faith community have unflinchingly testified that that you won't have the slightest desire to. See, see, Jesus isn't merely inviting you into something different. It's just, it's just better. With Jesus, it's always better. There is always more for you. And so with that, I'd, I'd like to pray right now, specifically for, for softened hearts, for everyone who is watching, that, that we'd be in a place to receive whatever it is that, that God has for each of us today. Well, let me do that now. Heavenly Father, I do pray. I, I pray for just a, uh, a gentleness uh, that people would hear that, that invitation that you're extending to them this morning. That, that you would keep shame and, and embarrassment and guilt far from us here today. And, and we would recognize that, man, you're just a, a good, good dad who's just inviting us into something that, that's so much better for us and, and all the people around us. So, so God, right now, I just, I just pray that all of us would kind of collectively take a, a deep breath and just be ready to receive whatever it is that you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, now, if you haven't been here for each week of the series, uh, it's a very, very practical one, and I promise there's something here for you, no, no matter where you find yourself on this whole faith journey. Uh, you can get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can always uh, find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you grab your podcasts. Uh, we're spending the latter half of this series specifically exploring certain spiritual disciplines. Uh, that's what they're traditionally called, but, but think of them as the, the day-to-day rhythms that made up the life of, of Jesus. And, and so far, we've explored silence and solitude. Uh, around here, we often refer to it as that daily encounter, that daily time where you actually pick up and, and, and read this book called The Bible. Bible, which is God's living, breathing word. You allow it to speak to you, to testify to you, to convict you, to transform you. You share honest thoughts and feelings with God through something that we call prayer. Uh, last week, we spoke about Sabbath, that, that it's so much more than just a, a day off to just relax. It's actually a, a way of life. It's an invitation that, that God actually has given to us as, as a gift, knowing that we would have this propensity to run ourselves ragged. And, and today, we're moving on to simplicity. And I'm going to start off today by, by, by making a statement that, that might feel like hyperbole on the surface, but, but I genuinely think it's true. And frankly, there, there are a lot of other people who agree with me. The, the most tolerated sin in the American church is, is consumerism. And, and, and it's so sinister that, that few people ever come to grips with the fact that, that it is indeed a, a sin. That is, it actually causes harm to ourselves and others. It's diametrically opposed to the original design of our creator. And, and again, it's so subtle. I mean, think about it. For instance, if someone was to confess to you, at least in Christian circles, uh, that they had an addiction to pornography, you would never say to that person, oh, that's not a big deal. I mean, you deserve to watch a little porn every once in a while. If someone was to share with you that they had a problem controlling their temper, and in particular, uh, they lash out on their spouse and their kids, you would never offer the advice to that person, well, yeah, that's okay. You need to let them have it every once in a while. But, but think about it. When it comes to consumerism, which is really a more tolerated form of greed, and, and we, and yes, I'm talking about Christians too, we say things all the time like, you deserve it. You need to spoil yourself every once in a while. I mean, shoot, people routinely make 
terrible financial decisions, boast about those decisions on social media with pictures to to prove that they made the decision. And, And then the comment section, it's loaded with, so cute, you go girl, congratulations. I mean, it's about time you bought something for yourself. Looks good on you. <laughs> Having a hard time saying that with a straight face. Now, now, now compare that, this, with, with some of the stuff that, that Jesus shared in, in the same world. He says to us, sell your possessions and give to those in need. Well, Jesus, what, what, about, what about me? I kind of want to just get stuff for myself. Or or how about this one? The the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the the word. God's plan, God's design, making it unfruitful. It's like, well, Jesus, what the heck? That kind of sounds like the complete opposite of what the world is trying to sell me. Or or how about this one? Beware. Guard against everything. Every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And if there's something inside of you right now where it's like you feel your guard going up, just again, take a deep breath. Remember, Jesus isn't trying to take away your stuff like some jealous big brother. He's inviting you into a life that 100% of us would agree is just better where there's true joy, where there's true contentment, true peace. In an ironic twist, it's what you're actually trying to find through all those purchases, but always ends up falling short. True joy, true contentment, true peace, what you were hoping to find in a place like this, what your soul is yearning for, well, Jesus, he's trying to lead you there. As we often say around here, he's trying to protect you from, from you. Now, now, as already alluded to, but part of what makes this so difficult, uh, particularly in the Christian church, is, is that we have fallen for, for a false gospel. We could even dub it, we could call it colorfully the American gospel. This gospel, not only spoon-fed to us by culture at large, but reinforced by well-meaning Christians everywhere, basically communicates the complete opposite of what Jesus taught. The American gospel says, the more you have, the happier you will be. Materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning in our world. We get our meaning in life from what we consume, what we purchase, what we acquire. And again, if that feels overstated, remind yourself that the number one leisure activity in America, and this isn't me making this up for the sake of this conversation, this is just a fact, the number one leisure activity in America is shopping. King David, who, again, is written about literally thousands and thousands of years ago, we find his words in in the Old Testament, that is the first half of the Bible, he would prophetically declare of us, yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. When I was studying this week and I came across this verse, it blew my mind. I mean, is this not like the most apt description for this generation? A person goes about, we go about like mere shadows. We rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who is even going to get them when we die. I want to make sure that that I'm not being misunderstood this morning. It's not as if buying stuff in and of itself is evil. 
You obviously need to buy, for instance, groceries. You likely needed to purchase a reliable vehicle. You need a home. You, you need clothing. There are basic things that you need, food, shelter, transportation. The, the, the problem in the Western world is, is that we buy all sorts of stuff that, that we don't need. Come on, that, that you will never need. Consumerism, in turn, it becomes a sort of gateway drug for, for greed. It's never satisfied. It always wants more. It whispers, what's the big deal? You deserve it. And I want us to remember that the best lies, and this is just a principle for life, that the best lies always contain a modicum of truth. Plenty of the stuff you buy, yes, you can technically afford. But, but, but the question that we rarely ask ourselves, the, the question that we ought to be asking ourselves, especially as it relates to consumerism, is what impact is this having on my soul? This is the question, your risen Savior, the, the God who would get off his throne and willingly exchange his life for, for your sin. I mean, that's how highly he thinks of you. That's the question your, your risen Savior asks you to consider. And, and the cold, the, the hard truth for most of us is that we simply have too much stuff to enjoy life at a healthy unhurried, God-designed pace. A, a pace that allows you to focus on that which is most important, namely relationships with family and friends and, and above all, God. I, I, ironically, all, all the stuff that, that you can't purchase. Consumerism, it ends up robbing your life of the very thing that the flurry of ads are actually trying to sell you on, the, the good life the God-designed life. So, so, so like we've been asking in previous weeks, um, what if Jesus was right? In, in fact, let's take it a step further. What if Jesus' teachings aren't just right, but, but they're good? They're, they're true. What if Jesus, seeing as he is God in the flesh, was merely making statements about how the world actually works? That if he was saying, hey, if you ignore these teachings, not only will you rupture your relationship with God and others, but, but you'll also find yourself going against the very grain of the universe that, that he created. Enter our quote from last week from H.H. Farmer, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. I, I'm asking all of you, and again, no matter where you find yourself on this whole faith journey today, I'm asking you to consider that what Jesus teaches isn't merely different, but again, true. What if more stuff actually means less of what matters most? Less time, less financial freedom, less opportunity for generosity. The, the key that Jesus says is the actually way to the good life. Less peace, less margin, less relationships, less of what your soul is longing for. We've talked at length of late about the God-shaped void that exists inside every single one of us that causes us to intuitively go searching for him. A void that we too often try to cram full of cheap substitutes, enter consumerism, but will always fall short. It's a void that's only ever meant to be filled with Jesus himself. That is who, not what, who your soul is longing for. 
And because Jesus is for you, he, he tried to give, well, you and I a heads up about this. I, I mentioned just a moment ago that, that consumerism, it, it tends to act as a sort of gateway drug to greed. And, and, and that is where the evil one is hoping you'll be led. But because he knows that, that if he can get the claws of greed into you, and, and there's a lot working towards that end in the U.S. of A., it will be impossible for you to nurture healthy relationships with the people around you, and most importantly, God himself. And remember, as we've been saying, these habits are not the ends in and of themselves. The end is Jesus himself, a rich, abiding love and intimacy with your Savior and Lord. And see, Jesus knew that we would have this propensity to drift towards stuff, to drift towards consumerism, and in turn, greed. And so he warns us, hey, you walk down that path, and remember, this is just true, so ignore it while enter splinters. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, and that's such important language, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot serve God and fall into the consumerism trap. And again, notice the intentionality of Jesus' language. Cannot. Not should not. Cannot. You cannot serve God, the only one who can actually fill that void and in turn deliver on that life of peace, joy, and contentment, and serve the system. Living into the freedom that Jesus offers, that your soul is longing for, the unhurried life and consumerism, they're incompatible. Jesus says they are mutually exclusive. In other words, he's trying to bring us to this point. Hey, you have to choose. And in fact, whether you realize it or not, you are choosing right now. Life with Jesus, rich, abiding, content, joy-filled life with your creator, who more than anything else just wants you or, or your stuff consumerism. And, and before you dismiss all of this and say, no, that's just asking too much, I, I, I'd ask you to consider where, where, where all of your, your stuff has gotten you. I, I mean, be honest, has it ever delivered on its, on its promises? Doesn't it always end up falling short? So again, I'll ask, what do you really have to lose? And so with a couple minutes that, that I've left for myself, let's explore the way of Jesus that breaks us free from consumerism and, and all of those nasty downstream effects that, that it leads us to. It, again, as mentioned at the top, it's, it's simplicity. And, and like all these disciplines, it's been rebranded, it's been hijacked by the secular world. You've probably heard this word before, minimalism. It's kind of like one of these you know, hot words right now in our society. But again, that they're trying to sell it to you without the best part, Jesus himself. And, and remember, the entire goal of simplicity is more freedom, more margin for what matters the most. It, it's not about living with nothing, but rather living with less. The best definition that, that I've come across, it comes from an individual named Joshua Becker, who's actually dedicated his life to this practice. He, he says simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. 
And I promise what we're about to talk about right now, this applies to you whether you make $25,000 a year or, well, a whole lot more than that. See, we all have stuff in our lives which is distracting us from that which is most important. And Jesus says, hey, err on the side of being generous. Err on the side of simple living in order to protect your soul. And so right now, we're going to take a look at some principles to live into this way of Jesus. Now, now two notes, but before we make this really, really practical. Number one, I robbed every single one of these out of the book that bears the same title as this series. Again, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, a book that I am begging you, even if you wouldn't call yourself a reader, please get a copy of that thing and, and, and read it. There's so much more to say on, on what we're talking about in this series. Now, number two, uh, remember, these are principles, not rules. That this is all about freedom and not more rules for, for your life, okay? So let's take a look at eight principles here uh, to unhurry your life, to, to pave the way into simplicity. Number one, uh, before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? Uh, for instance, maybe you're considering buying that fifth wheel camper that you technically can't afford because you have about $450 worth of margin at the end of each month. So you're like, yeah, I, I can make that payment. But, but what is the cost going to be to maintain it? How much is it going to cost to insure it? What, what kind of a purchase are you going to have to make for a vehicle to tow it? H how much time is it going to cost you? H how often are you actually going to use it? I is it going to add value or is it going to distract you from what matters the most? And, and most pertinent probably to our conversation about unhurrying our lives, is this going to speed up my life or, or is it going to slow it down? What, what's the true cost of this item? It, it is always more than the sticker cost. Uh, number two, never impulse buy. Ever, 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 ever. And uh, this is probably the hardest one on this list because everything else in our world is driving you to almost exclusively impulse buy. A as a general rule, when you see an item that you want, sit on it for a while. Wait. And the more expensive the item, the longer you ought to wait. I, I would invite you to pray over it. And some people, they'll ugh, roll their eyes, they'll scoff at it, and I'm going to pray about purchases. That right there, if you scoff at it, it's probably a sign for you that you ought not to buy it. I mean, after all, if it doesn't have God's blessing on it, do you really want it in your life? Now, now a very, very practical example of this that I feel like I'm having this conversation over and over and over again with couples, that there is a very specific uh, shopping place online that has spelt the demise of, of many, many people's financial life and, and in particular feeds into this impulse buying. It is called Amazon.com. And, and there are more and more couples that I'm talking with that, that are just deleting that thing altogether because they realize that they are spending one, copious amounts of money on there every single month. And number two, they are rarely, if ever, purchasing things that they actually need. Something comes into their head, and because of the immediacy of Amazon, the fact that you can literally find it within 30 seconds, purchase it with one click, and it'll be on your doorstep before the end of the day, it has just fueled this, this impulsivity. So, so never impulse buy, and as a bonus, if you really want to take it to the next level, delete your Amazon account. Uh, number three, when, when you can, share. But believe it or not, <laughs> you don't have to personally own every item needed to, for instance, maintain a home. Uh, I, I love this. M my dad and his two neighbors, Mr. DiGiovanni and Mr. Ellen, uh, they have shared a fertilizer spreader uh, for like literally their entire adult lives. 
We should be asking this question a whole lot more often. It's like, okay, do, do I really need to personally own a chainsaw? Or is it like, man, this is something I use like literally once a year and my neighbor probably use it once a year and the other neighbor use it once a year. So, so why wouldn't we go in and, and purchase this thing together? Uh, we have in our very in, independent autonomous society, we, we have just opted for the fact that we have to own every single thing. Well, no, you can also share a lot of your stuff. Uh, number four, get into the habit of giving things away. Uh, when Jesus said, and we all know these words, and you might just not have known that they came from Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It, it, it again, it was a statement of reality. And, and what you figure out is when you actually begin to regularly practice generosity, it, it is incredible how it awakens your soul. You, you have these moments where you're like, Jesus, wait a minute. He wasn't just saying that. that that's, that's actually true. It really is more blessed to give than to receive. So, so clear out closets, clear out garages of the stuff you don't need. Uh, a personal practice that I've adopted in my life, and I always uh, am weary of making this statement out loud because people like to test you on it right after you say it. Uh, for me, if somebody compliments me on, on something that's on my body, usually it comes in the form of clothing or shoes or a backpack or a jacket. Uh, as a general principle, I literally just try to give that item to them. Now, if it happens to be an item like this, you're like, Shay, I really like that, that shirt you're wearing today. Well, I can't walk around without a shirt on. So I'll literally like make a note, take it home, wash it, and then give it to that person the next time that I see them. Because the reality is, is I got a lot of shirts and I got a lot of sweatshirts and, and I could probably do to part with, with one of those items. Now, it doesn't just limit itself to, to things that you own. It also includes money. And the great news is, is that if you begin to live simpler, you will have a lot more money to give away. And one of our go-to excuses, well, I can't afford to give money away. It's again, because you're not living very simply, which leads us to our next one, live by a budget. Now I have made this observation and point uh, over and over and over again, but it continues to blow my mind. Uh, and I don't say this to pour on shame or embarrassment because there's a lot of you watching right now that you would fall into this category. Uh, but I continue to be blown away by, by how few people actually operate on a budget where, where, where you're leaving your finances completely to chance. And, and the easiest excuse to, to grab onto, it's like, well, at the end of each month, we have enough money, so why would I budget? This in particular is for the follower of Jesus. Uh, imagine how much more you could leverage your wealth for the kingdom of God, for those who are less fortunate than you, if you had an actual plan for, for your money. O over and over again as a pastor, uh, I hear people that say, well, I just can't afford to tithe. I just can't afford to give to the local church. I just can't afford to give to charitable causes. Well, the primary reason that, that you feel that, and it might very well be true with your current spending habits, is again, because you have no plan for your money. Whereas if you exercised intentionality in this area, you lived by a budget, you, you might be able to, in fact, I guarantee you would be able to, to give more away. Uh, number six, uh, learn to enjoy things without owning them. It, it's incredible how we have defaulted to purchasing anything that we really want rather than borrowing, rather than renting. We do this with vacation homes. Uh, over and over again, I see people with this specific example. Uh, they buy a boat despite the fact that they only use their boat about three times a year when they didn't really look into the cost of actually owning the boat, return to point number one, uh, and didn't look into, hey, how much does it actually just cost to like rent a boat for, from a marina for those three times a year? This extends to things like books from the library, a, a bench in a local park that you can routinely get away from things and just enjoy God's creation. And speaking of which, number seven, cultivate a deep appreciation for creation. In short, even if you would call yourself more indoorsy, force yourself to spend more time outside 
and less time in front of glowing rectangles. When we take in the beauty of creation, and I promise you this is true no matter who you are, we develop a greater appreciation and adoration for for our creator. And and then number eight, uh, cultivate a deep appreciation for the simple pleasures. For me, and this isn't exclusive to this one example, but for me, that this means simply saying thank you to God a whole lot more often. For instance, just thanking God for just a really great night spent with my kids. Thanking God for, my, my goodness, I'm really just thankful, God, that, that you gave me a spouse that is truly my best friend, that I enjoy spending time with. A, a really good London fog from Thread Creek Coffee. It, it enjoyed the simple, that, that which has the propensity to, to be taken for granted. Now, now I recognize that um, all of this that we've just covered, it, it sounds completely counterintuitive because literally, Nowhere else in our lives is someone advocating for for this in the way that Jesus is. But I'm telling you, if you try it, one day it'll hit you. Jesus was was right. This is undeniably a better, this is a freer way to live. So here's my challenge to this faith community. Start practicing this today. If consumerism really is the most tolerated sin in our churches today, and even if you don't want to say it's number one, it's definitely in the top five, how are we going to push back? And my invitation to you would be to to stop tolerating it. Stop feeding it. Let us as a church stop blending in with the rest of the world. If we want our lives to look more like the life of our Savior and Lord, we have to do what Jesus did. So, So simplify Start somewhere. Ask yourself, hey, what would Jesus do if, if he were me? R- remember that question from part one? And, and, and understand, as I tie a bow on this, I just want to throw out this disclaimer because th- this is important. Jesus isn't going to stop or be satisfied with the cleaning out of a single closet. He wants all of you. So you better believe he's eventually going to ask you for surrender or, or sacrifice in an area where it's going to be hard. It's going to hurt. In fact, it would be Jesus himself who would ask us to consider the cost of following, but often we overlook the cost of not following. And to be fair, and I'm trying to be upfront, living simply, as somebody who has really tried to live into this, it will absolutely cost you something especially in America where we have so much, you will literally be able to point to it as it pulls out of your driveway and and a tear comes streaming down your cheek. But it'll cost you far more not to. Cue that question, what do you have to lose? In the end, Jesus tells us it'll end up costing our, our souls. And you can't serve both greed and and God. Jesus tells us a statement of reality. You have to to pick. You have to choose. But he also tells us to take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. This, this is where Jesus is leading you. where, Where he longs to take you. A life that is marked by true joy, true peace, true contentment. Not the cheap substitutes that that are constantly being thrown our way. No, rich, abiding joy in the arms of our Heavenly Father. 
Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlot Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today.